This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Tamaril from Godbox Cafe. Le Morgue d'Arthur, Volume 1, by Sir Thomas Mallory. Book 5, Chapters 1 to 5. When King Arthur had after long war rested, and held a royal feast and table round, with his allies of kings, princes, and noble knights, all of the round table, there came into his hall, he sitting in his throne royal, twelve ancient men, bearing each of them a branch of olive, in token that they came as ambassadors and messengers from the emperor Lucius, which was called at that time dictator or procurer of the public wheel of Rome which said messengers, after their entering and coming into the presence of King Arthur, did to him their obeisance in making to him reverence, and said to him in this wise, The high and mighty Emperor Lucius sendeth to the King of Britain greeting, commanding thee to acknowledge him for thy lord, and to send him the truage due of this realm unto the empire, which thy father, and other to fore, thy precessors, have paid as is of record, and thou as rebel not knowing him as thy sovereign, withholdest, and retainest contrary to the statutes and decrees made by the noble and worthy Julius Caesar, conqueror of this realm, and first emperor of Rome. And if thou refuse his demand and commandment, know thou for certain that he shall make strong war against thee, thy realms and lands, and shall chastise thee and thy subjects, that it shall be in sample perpetual unto all kings and princes, for to deny their truage unto that noble empire which domineth upon the universal world. Then when they had showed the effect of their message, the king commanded them to withdraw them, and said he should take advice of counsel and give to them an answer. Then some of the young knights, hearing this their message, would have run on them to have slain them, saying that it was a rebuke to all the knights there, being present, to suffer them to say so to the king. And anon the king commanded that none of them, upon pain of death, to missay them nor do them any harm, and commanded a knight to bring them to their lodging, and see that they had all that is necessary and requisite for them, with the best cheer, and that no dainty be spared, for the Romans be great lords, and though their message please me not, nor my court, yet I must remember mine honour. After this the king let call all his lords and knights of the round table to counsel upon this matter, and desired them to say their advice. Then Sir Cador of Cornwall spake first and said, Sir, this message liketh me well, for we have many days rested us and have been idle, and now I hope ye shall make sharp war on the Romans, where I doubt not we shall get honour. I believe well, said Arthur, that this matter pleaseth thee well. But these answers may not be answered, for the demand grieveth me sore. For truly I will never pay truage to Rome, wherefore I pray you to counsel me. I have understood that Bellinus and Brennius, kings of Britain, have had the empire in their hands many days, and also Constantine the son of Helene, which is an open evidence that we owe no tribute to Rome, but of right we that be descended of them have right to claim the title of the empire. Chapter 2 Then answered King Anguish of Scotland, Sir, 
ye ought of right to be above all other kings, for unto you is none like nor parai in Christendom, of knighthood nor of dignity, and I counsel you never to obey the Romans, for when they reigned on us, they distressed our elders, and put this land to great extortions and tallies, wherefore I make here mine avow to venge me on them, and for to strengthen your quarrel, I shall furnish twenty thousand good men of war, and wage them on my costs, which shall await on you with myself when it shall please you. And the king of little Britain granted him to the same thirty thousand, wherefore King Arthur thanked them. And then every man agreed to make war, and to aid after their power, that is, to wit, the Lord of West Wales promised to bring thirty thousand men, and Sir Uwain, Sir Eider his son, with their cousins, promised to bring thirty thousand. Then Sir Launcelot, with all other promised, in likewise every man, a great multitude. And when King Arthur understood their courages and good wills, he thanked them heartily, and after let call the ambassadors to hear their answer. And in presence of all his lords and knights he said to them in this wise, I will that ye return unto your lord and procurer of the commonweal for the Romans, and say ye to him of his demand and commandment, I set nothing, and that I know of no truage nor tribute that I owe to him, nor to none earthly prince, Christian nor heathen. But I pretend to have and occupy the sovereignty of the empire, wherein I am entitled by the right of my predecessors, sometime kings of this land, and say to him, that I am delivered and fully concluded to go with mine army with strength and power unto Rome by the grace of God, to take possession in the empire and subdue them that be rebel. Wherefore I command him and all them of Rome that incontinent they make to me their homage and to acknowledge me for their emperor and governor upon pain that shall ensue. And then he commanded his treasurer to give to them great and large gifts, and to pay all their dispenses, and assigned Sir Cador to convey them out of the land. And so they took their leave and departed, and took their shipping at Sandwich, and passed forth by Flanders, Almain, the mountains, and all Italy, until they came unto Lucius. And after the reverence made, they made relation of their answer, like as ye tofore have heard. When the Emperor Lucius had well understood their credence, he was sore moved as he had been all arraged, and said, I had supposed that Arthur would have obeyed to my commandment, and have served you himself, as him well beseemed or any other king to do. O oh, sir, said one of the senators, let be such vain words, for we let you wit that I and my fellows were full sore afeard to behold his countenance. I fear me ye have made a rod for yourself, for ye intendeth to be lord of this empire, which sore is to be doubted if he come, for he is all another man than ye ween, and holdeth the most noble court of the world. All other kings nor princes may not compare unto this noble maintenance. On New Year's Day we saw him in his estate, which was the royalest that ever we saw, for he was served at his table with nine kings, and the noblest fellowship of other princes, lords, and knights that be in the world, and every knight approved and like a lord, and holdeth table round, and in his person the most manly man that liveth, and is like to conquer all the world, for unto his courage it is too little. 
Wherefore I advise you to keep well your marches and straits in the mountains, for certainly he is a lord to be doubted. Well, said Lucius, before Easter I suppose to pass the mountains and so forth into France, and there bereave him his lands with Genoese and other mighty warriors of Tuscany and Lombardy, and I shall send for them all that be subjects, and allied to the empire of Rome to come to mine aid, and forthwith sent old wise knights unto these countries following, first to Ambaj and Araj, to Alexandria, to India, to Armenia, whereas the river of Euphrates runneth into Asia, to Africa and Europe the large, to Ertain and Elamye, to Araby, Egypt, and to Damascus, to Damietta and Caire, to Cappadocia, to Tarsus, Turkey, Pontus and Pamphylia, to Syria and Galatia, and all these were subject to Rome, and many more, as Greece, Cyprus, Macedonia, Calabria, Cateland, Portugal, with many thousands of Spaniards. Thus all these kings, dukes, and admirals assembled about Rome, with sixteen kings at once, with great multitude of people. When the emperor understood their coming, he made ready his Romans and all the people between him and Flanders. Also he had gotten with him fifty giants, which had been engendered of fiends, and they were ordained to guard his person, and to break the front of the battle of King Arthur, and thus departed from Rome, and came down the mountains for to destroy the lands that Arthur had conquered, and came unto Cologne, and besieged a castle thereby, and won it soon, and stuffed it with two hundred Saracens, or infidels, and after destroyed many fair countries which Arthur had won of King Claudus. And thus Lucius came with all his host, which were disperpled sixty mile in breadth, and commanded them to meet with him in Burgogne, for he purposed to destroy the realm of little Britain. Chapter 3 Now leave we of Lucius the emperor, and speak we of King Arthur, that commanded all them of his retinue to be ready at the Utas of Hilary, for to hold a parliament at York, and at that parliament was concluded to arrest all the navy of the land, and to be ready within fifteen days at Sandwich, and there he showed to his army how he purposed to conquer the empire which he ought to have of right. And there he ordained two governors of this realm, that is to say, Sir Baudwin of Britain, for to counsel to the best, and Sir Constantine, son to Sir Cador of Cornwall, which after the death of Arthur was king of this realm. And in the presence of all his lords he resigned the rule of the realm, and Guinevere his queen to them. Wherefore Sir Launcelot was wroth, for he left Sir Tristram with King Mark for the love of Beale Isolde. Then the Queen Guinevere made great sorrow for the departing of her lord and other, and swooned in such wise that the ladies bare her into her chamber. Thus the king with his great army departed, leaving the queen and realm in the governance of Sir Baudwin and Constantine. And when he was on his horse, he said with a high voice, if I die in this journey, I will that Sir Constantine be mine heir and king crowned of this realm as next of my blood. And after departed, and entered into the sea at Sandwich with all his army, with a great multitude of ships, galleys, cogs, and drummonds, sailing on the sea. Chapter 4 And as the king lay in his cabin in the ship, 
he fell in a slumbering and dreamed a marvelous dream. Him seemed that a dreadful dragon did drown much of his people, and he came flying out of the west, and his head was enameled with azure, and his shoulders shone as gold, his belly like males of a marvelous hue, his tail full of tatters, his feet full of fine sable, and his claws like fine gold, and an hideous flame of fire flew out of his mouth, like as the land and water had flamed all of fire. After him seemed there came out of the Orient a grimly boar, all black in a cloud, and his paws as big as a post. He was rugged-looking roughly. He was the foulest beast that ever man saw. He roared and rommed so hideously that it were marvel to hear. Then the dreadful dragon advanced him and came in the wind like a falcon giving great strokes on the boar, and the boar hit him again with his grisly tusks that his breast was all bloody, and that the hot blood made all the sea red of his blood. Then the dragon flew away all on a height, and came down with such a swath, and smote the boar on the ridge, which was ten foot large from the head to the tail, and smote the boar all to powder both flesh and bones, that it flittered all abroad on the sea. And therewith the king awoke anon, and was sore abashed of this dream, and sent anon for a wise philosopher, commanding to tell him the significance of his dream. Sir, said the philosopher, the dragon that thou dreamedst of betokeneth thine own person that sailest here, and the colors of his wings be thy realms that thou hast won, and his tail which is all to tattered signifieth the noble knights of the round table, and the boar that the dragon slew coming from the clouds betokeneth some tyrant that tormenteth the people, or else thou art like to fight with some giant thyself, being horrible and abominable, whose peer ye saw never in your days. Wherefore of this dreadful dream doubt thee nothing, but as a conqueror come forth thyself. Then after this soon they had sight of land, and sailed till they arrived at Barflit in Flanders. And when they were there he found many of his great lords ready, as they had been commanded, to wait upon him. Chapter 5 Then came to him an husbandman of the country, and told him how there was in the country of Constantine beside Brittany, a great giant which had slain, murdered, and devoured much people of the country, and had been sustained seven year with the children of the commons of that land, insomuch that all the children be all slain and destroyed. And now late he hath taken the Duchess of Brittany, as she rode with Hermene, and hath led her to his lodging which is in a mountain, for to ravish and lie by her to her life's end. And many people followed her, more than five hundred, but all they might not rescue her. But they left her shrieking and crying lamentably, wherefore I suppose that he hath slain her in fulfilling his foul lust of lechery. She was wife unto thy cousin Sir Howell, whom we call full nigh of thy blood. Now as thou art a rightful king, have pity on this lady, and revenge us all as thou art a noble conqueror. Alas, said King Arthur, 
this is a great mischief. I had liefer than the best realm that I have that I had been a furlong way to for him for to have rescued that lady. Now, fellow, said King Arthur, canst thou bring me there as this giant haunteth? Yea, sir, said the good man. Look yonder, whereas thou seest those two great fires, there shalt thou find him, and more treasure than I suppose is in all France. When the king had understood this piteous case, he returned into his tent. Then he called to him Sir Kay and Sir Bedivere, and commanded them secretly to make ready horse and harness for himself and them twain for after evensong he would ride on pilgrimage with them two only unto St. Michael's Mount, and then anon he made him ready, and armed him at all points, and took his horse and shield. And so they three departed thence, and rode forth as fast as ever they might, till that they came to the foreland of that mount. And there they alighted, and the king commanded them to tarry there, for he would himself go up into that mount. And so he ascended up into that hill till he came to a great fire, and there he found a careful widow, wringing her hands and making great sorrow, sitting by a grave new maid. And then King Arthur saluted her, and demanded of her wherefore she made such lamentation, to whom she answered, and said, Sir Knight, speak soft, for yonder is a devil. If he hear thee speak, he will come and destroy thee. I hold thee unhappy. What dost thou hear in this mountain? For if ye were such fifty as ye be, ye were not able to make resistance against this devil. Here lieth the duchess dead, the which was the fairest of all the world, wife to Sir Howell, Duke of Brittany. He hath murdered her in forcing her, and hath slit her unto the navel. Dame, said the king, I come from the noble conqueror King Arthur, for to treat with that tyrant for his liege people. Fie on such treaties, said she, he setteth not by the king nor by no man else. But an if thou have brought Arthur's wife, Dame Guinevere, he shall be gladder than thou hadst given to him half France. Beware, Approach him not too nigh, for he hath vanquished fifteen kings, and hath made him a coat full of precious stones, embroidered with their beards, which they sent him to have his love for salvation of their people at this last Christmas, and if thou wilt, speak with him at yonder great fire at supper. Well, said Arthur, I will accomplish my message for all your fearful words and went forth by the crest of that hill, and saw where he sat at supper gnawing on a limb of a man, baking his broad limbs by the fire, and breechless, and three fair damsels turning three brooches whereon were broached twelve young children late-born, like young birds. When King Arthur beheld that piteous sight, he had great compassion on them, so that his heart bled for sorrow and hailed him, saying in this wise, He that all the world wieldeth give thee short life and shameful death, and the devil have thy soul. Why hast thou murdered these young innocent children, and murdered this duchess? 
Therefore arise and dress thee, thou glutton, for this day shalt thou die of my hand. Then the glutton anon started up, and took a great club in his hand, and smote at the king, that his coronal fell to the earth. And the king hit him again, that he carved his belly and cut off his genitors, that his guts and his entrails fell down to the ground. Then the giant threw away his club, and caught the king in his arms, that he crushed his ribs. Then the three maidens kneeled down and called to Christ for help and comfort of Arthur. And then Arthur weltered and wrung, that he was other while under and another time above, and so weltering and wallowing they rolled down the hill till they came to the sea-mark, and ever as they so weltered, Arthur smote him with his dagger. And it fortuned they came to the place whereas the two knights were, and kept Arthur's horse. Then when they saw the king fast in the giant's arms, they came and loosed him, and then the king commanded Sir Kay to smite off the giant's head, and to set it upon a truncheon of a spear, and bear it to Sir Howell, and tell him that his enemy was slain, and after let this head be bound to a barbican, that all the people may see and behold it. And go ye two up to the mountain, and fetch me my shield, my sword, and the club of iron, and as for the treasure, take ye it, for ye shall find there goods out of number. So I have the kirtle and the club I desire no more. This was the fiercest giant that ever I met with, save one in the mountain of Araby, which I overcame, but this was greater and fiercer. Then the knights fetched the club and the kirtle, and some of the treasure they took to themselves, and returned again to the host. And anon this was known through all the country, wherefore the people came and thanked the king, and he said again, Give the thanks to God, and depart the goods among you. And after that King Arthur said, and commanded his cousin Howell, that he should ordain for a church to be builded on the same hill in the worship of St. Michael. And on the morn the king removed with his great battle, and came into Champagne in a valley, and there they pight their tents, and the king being set at his dinner, there came in two messengers, of whom that one was Marshal of France, and said to the king that the emperor was entered into France, and had destroyed a great part, and was in Bourgogne, and had destroyed and made great slaughter of people, and burnt towns and boroughs. Wherefore, if thou come not hastily, End of Book 5, Chapters 1 to 5 Recording by Tamriel of Godboxcafe.com